0: From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged is our weekly show covering the top theme park news from each week. Coming up, SeaWorld earnings, takeaways from the Plaza survey on live events, and two Cedar fair parks are discontinuing scary Halloween events. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip from Gantelmine Controls and the Hard Attraction Network, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development.
1: Hello. Welcome back for another week of uh, what we think is important inside the uh, theme park and attraction industry. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today, and as usual, we're hoping to get to most of it, and as usual, we will probably only get to about half of it because mm. we both are very... Filled with opinions and thoughts, and you know, it depends on whether we argue. You know, if we argue, the show goes longer. Right? Ooh, I love it when we argue. But
0: ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? There's no arguing with the SeaWorld earnings. Was a good transition. Good um, transition. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes, that was good. <laughs> the theme park operator SeaWorld earned 92 cents per share for its last quarter, well above the 29 cent consensus estimate. Revenue came in above forecast, more than doubling a year ago, with park visitors spending more per person than they had prior to the pandemic. I don't think there's really much to be said about this. Uh, If you have been following the show for a while, you can see that this kind of lines up with what we talked about previously with the universal earnings and the overall trend as well with Disney of the park chains trying to get guests to do more spend per person as a way to counterbalance the reduced attendance. And... Now we're seeing, of course, that the attendance is rebounding to 2019 levels, but hopefully that'll lead to overall more profitability for the parks, which I think
1: they will need because there are other challenges on the horizon. Absolutely, yeah. I I just want to make sure that excuse me, I just want to make sure that the 29 cent consensus estimate wasn't just a typo, because to go yeah. from 29 to 92, um, that's kind of an oops. Uh, but I will say, I will say, you're absolutely right, Philip, and that is the fact that. Um, You know the the floodgates have opened, and um, people are coming back. They're spending. They're they're eager. Um, But you know, I use the floodgate analogy intentionally because when floodgates open, there is a huge surge. But then eventually, things do find some form of equilibrium. So uh, I think this is important to recognize. Actually, because of my business, which is sort of longer lead, Um, I'm already seeing sort of, um, that equilibrium, I'm I'm seeing organizations plan for that equilibrium now. And, uh, so I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that it's great. Theme parks are back. The idea of, of, of the spend being, uh, higher than it was pre pandemic. Great. It's exactly what we should expect. Uh, but don't think that this is the new world. Um, this is making up for lost time. Maybe you want to think about it that way. Um, or it's the, the, the rush of the water pouring back in, uh, the guests pouring back in. And uh, we, I think we just need to make certain that we are prepared um, for what is to come, as uh, as Philip so ominously stated just moments ago. <laughs> dun, dun, and, dun.
0: And, and to help us figure out what is to come, PLAZA, the Association for the Entertainment Industry, Technology Industry, they did a little survey Uh, they they published a global survey report on the current position and future recovery of live events industry this comes to us courtesy of Impark magazine and i'm actually going to be reading excerpts of the summary of the report that Impark magazine did so this is not like from the report this is from like the summary that the magazine did but you can download the full report at the link in our show notes but to give you context The survey ran from back in November 2021 through December 2021. So it's a little bit – it's a tiny bit old. I don't know. It's actually not that old, but then when I think about it, I'm like, wow, it feels like it's been like three years in the past, like, quarter. (laughs) So it's like so much has changed. Oh, my gosh. So it's a tiny bit – I guess in this new world order, it is a little bit old um, <laughs> in, in that way, but uh, there's 1,948 respondents in over 40 countries. So it's a pretty good sample size of this live entertainment section. And I think we'll kind of take each, de- I, I, I've i identified a few data points that I want to hit, hone in on, and I think we'll take them at a time. Uh, so 45%, Took on additional debt to survive the lockdowns. Freelancers are faring no better. With low earning, with low earners growing in number and top earners dropping by seventy eight percent. Hmm,
1: that's interesting. That's very interesting. I first of all, I just want to clarify. This is Philip's summary of a summary. Of, <laughs> of, of a, I just want to clarify that. Was, that I is true. Listened. That is that's very true. Sure we were all listening. Okay. <laughs> um. So they took on they took on additional debt to survive the lockdown. Um, again, makes total sense. Uh, you kind of have to, you can either, you can either shut down or you can borrow money to stay open and, um, or stay, stay active. It's probably more important. And I, and I feel especially, sorry, you know, we just talked about, we just talked about SeaWorld. The one thing that you, we've mentioned on the show before, but I just want people to remember is when it comes to zoos and aquariums and any, any, uh, Any attraction that has an animal content, a living content to it, Mm -hmm. they don't just turn off like roller coasters. You can't just shut them down. You have to continue to maintain their care, maintain their water quality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would guess that a big chunk of the attractions that took on that additional debt had to do so in order to keep their most important assets. And I would like to call them the, you know, the, the either swimming or, or furry cast members, um, alive during a lockdown uh so it it just totally makes sense um when it comes to freelancers i am surprised by this number quite honestly um because at least here in florida uh, now granted this was 21 you know this yeah. was 21 um i i person my personal experience is i've seen that turn around yeah. And I have seen more and more, not just myself, but more and more freelancers like me who have either, uh, been brought onto projects as freelancers or have been tempted back into the corporate world, um, as, uh, internal, um, ca- uh, staff members for larger projects around the world. So I, I think that, you know, uh, st- uh, we were joking saying that, you know, 2021, gosh, the end of 21 was, you know, a decade ago. Um, but. In reality, things are changing that quickly, yes. so um, I think that that recovery has already started. November, December of 21, yeah, I could see where there was some concern, um, but I, I I think that that has already uh, has already started to to make up for lost time.
0: Yeah, I agree with your point about that. It tracks with the conversations I have had with freelancers that are too busy right now even to take on more work you know, um, which we'll get to in a minute yes, Scott as well but I also want to underline the thing that 45% took on additional debt to survive the lockdowns. To me what that really illustrates, I, I think one way to look at it is saying oh look at how many people had to take on debt. The other way to look at it is to underscore that the impact has really been uneven in the industry which is something that we've talked about quite a bit, but to just illustrate that the three chains we've talked about in their earnings reports here, you know, Disney Universal, SeaWorld, being public companies, they have much better access to capital and they have much, you know, deeper pockets and whatnot. The smaller attractions that Scott mentioned really did in order to keep animals and assets alive, they had to take on an extreme, extreme amount of debt, which ultimately at on the other end of this, or getting to the other end of this, that puts these the attractions on very different playing fields where some have used the opportunity to build more assets and have deeper pockets and still now have access more capital. Whereas other attractions are still trying to even get back to a point where they don't have massive amount of debt and they, you know, so it's, it's very unequal. So all this is showing me is that it's it underscores how unequal it has been. So it's not like everyone has suffered equally is my big takeaway here. nodding scott's nodding <laughs> yes so you can't hear that no I, I i think
1: that's i think that's an interesting i think it's a very interesting and, and and logical logical take on the situation um i that's i think that's assuming that there was an equitable equitable distribution prior to the pandemic which you know someone who owns an fec um, does not have the same access and never has had the same access to anything that a Disney, a Universal, uh, Sea World Parks and Entertainment, uh, Cedar Fair, Paramount Parks. Any, I mean, any of those, they've never had that. So, um, and they also have had, uh, they have different, uh, different expectations and different mod- different ways of measuring success. Um, it's interesting because I always look at it. I guess I, I'm just the eternal optimist. I just When I was looking at it, I was thinking, you know, I think it's great that even during a a pandemic time, there were lenders out there who felt that these organizations were valid enough to actually lend them money because let's face it, you know, banks are not known for being charitable organizations. They're out there to make a profit. So um, the fact that 45% took on additional debt, I kind of look at it from the, the opposite standpoint and that is like. 45% Forty-five percent were able to get loans to take right. on additional debt, which shows right. that that the the financial world, at least to a certain degree, shows that or believes that there is a, a recovery, right. and I think we're seeing it now.
0: The next point on here is a shocking ninety-four percent of manufacturers are experiencing delays in components, resulting in many being forced to source new suppliers and redesign products. We have talked also about this, and in my reporting for the network, I've heard the same thing. I think my best example is from Zombie Skin saying that they expect the price of latex to double or triple <laughs> in mm-hmm. summer, and that's mm-hmm. going to trickle down to their costs of uh, makeup for actors for the Halloween and Christmas season when we have more actors in play. Uh, also at Gantam, we can share that we've felt the impacts of this And it's a very tricky balancing act. I think we're in a, paradoxically, even though we are smaller, again, to look at the smaller, larger example, even though we are smaller, we do operate our factory directly, you know, in China and that gives us more direct control. So we have less pockets and less ability, larger ability like that, but we have more direct control over the individual pieces. uh, So it makes it a tiny bit easier in some ways for us, but we are dealing with the same problems as well with delays in components and even sourcing components and trying to juggle all of these things together and we have had to communicate that to buyers so overall creating a compounding problem you know which is kind of the mirroring the the other problems we see you know with gas prices and with the overall inflation in the economy where the delays in this causes us causes you know inflation or causes delays or whatever it causes strains in the supply chain which then drives drives price up as demand you know can't be fulfilled basically
1: so i want to look at this from two basic standpoints um if you have if you are a a park or a company that is hiring someone to do something or provide something to you recognize that your the bids that you worked on uh, even six months ago um the cost of goods is no longer accurate. The yeah. timeline is no longer accurate. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and I and you can you can browbeat your vendors as much as you like, but that's not going to change the reality of the situation. So I ask the larger companies, and I've been really really lucky because every single company that I am working for has been very understanding in regards to this, and we have then in turn from a creative standpoint, from a, a vendor standpoint. <clears throat> We've had to go back and reevaluate the design process, to reevaluate the way things are being um, constructed, to reevaluate the magnitude of each element um, based on what is available. Now, the really smart folks, which I can't really claim that i, although I've been talking about it, I can't really claim that I've put it into practice as much as I probably should, are the ones who have the multiple supply chains, are the ones who have already um, put into practice what we talked about uh, probably a year ago, um, on this show and, and what I was trained during my, my, uh, USF certification for, um, uh, post post-crisis leadership is if you, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So if you have multiple supply chains, uh, you don't have to search for them when one of them dries up. Um. This, beyond a shadow of a doubt, really reinforces that. And I think we're going to see that's more and more of a challenge moving forward. So on both sides, recognize... And and by the way, vendors out there, if you are doing new quotes and new bids to install things and, uh, and develop hard goods or even soft goods, I've got a costumer right now who has just lost uh, fabric c- coming in. Um, it's just disappeared. Um, because again all of the, the delivery resources are put are being pushed beyond their limits. And um, it's the first time I have ever seen, from a, a, a supply standpoint, I've ever actually seen that um, one of the major delivery services, which I won't mention by name, has had a mechanical, they were listed specifically as a mechanical failure, which has uh, made it so they're unable to deliver the product. I don't know what that means. I don't know whether the box fell into the gears and it got ground up. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But these are the kinds of things that we are seeing over and over and over again. So if you're doing new bids, extend your timelines. If you're making plans, make them sooner, earlier. Um, Make sure that, you know, if you had, I would say add a month to your timelines um, if you're going to construct something new. Now. The flip side of that is you may be saying, oh, Scott, it's too late. That ship has sailed, so what do we do now? Well, then what you need to do is you need to get a good creative team to put together some new ideas and new ways of impacting your guests without utilizing those things you can't get. All right? Um, and, and we all know staffing is a challenge, but but you can always take something that was supposed to be animatronic and make it human. You can always take something that was supposed to be hard sculpt and make it soft sculpt. You can just... You know, I always say that that my job as creative director, when I'm hired to do that for a project, my job is to usher the creative content from what was approved to what the guests see, and um, sometimes there, are, well, sometimes always there are going to be turns and twists in that in that pathway. So it's my job as a creative to come up with creative solutions to those problems. So um, be be willing, be able to be more flexible on both sides of that. Uh, of that desk there, both sides of that contract and agreement, um, and if you're taking everything internal, you know, make sure that you're looking at all options, because otherwise you're going to be spending too much, or you're going to be running too late, and you're going to have to, so you may have to find alternatives. That was a lot of words to say, just be aware that this is happening, and plan for it the best you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, Scott, you mentioned a few times in there the the staffing thing. That also came up in this report, and I want to underscore that as well, because I I think this is almost the bigger part. Um, You know, component shortages are one thing, but this next part here, uh, in the lead up to the traditionally busy summer season, the live events industry is faced with a devastating skills shortage. 69% of companies report a lack of workers, particularly on-site roles such as engineers, technicians, crew, and riggers. These Crucial shortages are forcing many to delay or cancel work, further losing revenue and opportunities. There's very little confidence that this picture will improve over the coming months with the real risk of not meeting the increasing audience demand for live entertainment and cultural events throughout 2022. This is a key point. We have talked about this before. We have also seen this come up in other studies that are in tourism-related spaces that are not just theme parks. But the concept of demand shows every sign of going bananas again when we get into the summer and winter and holiday event of 2022 if if that demand also hits this wall of the skill shortage you're going to potentially see uh, an inflation with staff prices again or you know because people need to it's going to become critical to retain the people that you do have and especially high school so that that could be another really big piece that is coming into play. And I want to just echo what Scott said when it's like, sit down and make your plans. I, when you make the plan, make the plan for thinking about, as Scott mentioned, shifting some of this stuff over because of lead times or component losses. Also make that plan considering what you have to do to maintain the skill workers you have, or assuming you'll only get half of the people that you thought you were going to get again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a half again. So now you're down to a quarter Um, (laughs) at at this point. So for many, many years, we have heard um, theme park chains say their greatest asset is their, their uh, human, their human assets, the the people who work for them. Um, Now they can't just say that they actually have to mean it and they actually (laughs) have to pay for it. Um, Because, you know, especially with these, these skilled, uh, skilled laborers, um, there's only so many of those out there. Yeah. There's only so many of those out there. And it's they're, they're going to be at a premium. And you're going to have to make certain that not only are they well compensated, and I'm not saying pay them more than they're worth. I'm saying make certain that they are fairly and well compensated. Um, and you will have very little uh, negotiation room when it comes to price because they will have three other clients that are looking to hire them and you'll get into a bidding war and that's not going to work. So, um, hopefully if you've been wise in the past, you have built great relationships with these kinds of people and you can continue to foster those relationships. And that, again, I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about money at this point, make sure they feel valued, make sure that they are getting some extra, you know, those things that really don't matter to you. Like, um, yeah, we're going to give you we're going to give you free tickets to the park. That yeah. doesn't cost you a dime, you yeah. know. Um, it, it's 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 one of those situations where you need to make certain that you look at every possible way to compensate those people that you value, those people that you need to operate, yeah. um, and and make it so that, as Philip said, make it so that people don't leave. You know, that's that's you're going to be your real challenge because again, you've got these skilled workers that have three or four different opportunities and they, the moment something doesn't work in the first one they choose, they move on to the next. And by that time, the second one is already more desperate, and they're going to pay them more. So uh, it's it's one of those situations where those of you who have said for years, our greatest asset is our people, or is our staff. Now you have to really, really defend that statement, and defend it in every way you can. Yeah,
0: I really want to underscore all the things that, that Scott said about defending it. But I, I also want to put out there I, like unpopular opinion here. I feel like I'm always getting uh, negative feedback for this opinion, but kind of like you might also, when you're rethinking about all this, need to rethink the business model for some of the things that you offer. You know, uh, it. I think it will be increasingly difficult to have a business model that relies on the old model of employing people where you just pay them the minimum you can get away with just because, um, I, I don't know. I, I've had a lot of people tell me you know, over the years in the industry, you know, that they want people that that want to work there, um, that that don't care about the money, you know, that, that just that want to work at the park because they believe in the park or believe in people or they think it's fun or whatever. You know, like work is work ultimately. And I, I think that that is that argument's not really gonna fly, especially when you start to see compensation really outpace. So you're gonna have to really rethink. I would say start off by this and say sit down and say, does the business does the business model for this event we're planning or this seasonal thing we're doing for Christmas? Does it work if we have to pay all of our staff
1: twice what we're paying them now? And And to Philips point, um, I agree with those people who say I want people who want to work there but yeah. it's your responsibility as a park owner you have to make them want to work. You have there. to make them want to work there. You have to give them reasons to want to work there. And that has changed. You know, I've, I've been in, I've been in theme park now for, for, for years and it has changed from working in a theme park as being the coolest job in town when you're in high school or in college to being, Oh God, I can't get anything else. Well, I know XYZ park is still hiring. Um, and that's because internally it has changed the the mentality has changed the the number of you know i mean even the stupid little things like the the, the number of parties and outings and gatherings and perks um yeah. has has dropped significantly because those are the things that are easy to cut on a yeah. on a spreadsheet yeah. so make sure that um i agree with philip 100% make sure that you work all of these changes into your business model but make sure that you work the changes into your business model that include making you the employer of choice for your target demographic audience. And only you will know what that means in your market, unfortunately. It's a little trickier than just saying, I'm going to pay everybody twice as much. I think it's a great start, but I don't think that's going to be realistic for everybody. So you're going to have to figure out other options. Um, I think pay is going to be a starting point. But if you truly believe that you want people who want to work for you, then you have to make an effort to make your pos- your place of business the place where people want to work. That's just not going to magically happen. You have to work to make that happen. So take that into consideration and make it part of your business plan because it it costs money, kids. Yeah, it does. Well, okay. So we talked a little bit about
0: all of, all of these areas and really looking at rethinking going back to table and rethinking your business model, rethinking your offerings, doing a lot of rethinking. Um, the report ended off by just saying that record demand was coming down the pipeline, which we already knew, but <laughs> going down the line of rethinking everything. Our next story here uh, has to do with two Cedar Fair company theme parks. That's California Great Venture and Valley Fair. They are both transitioning away from, from scary for Halloween into something family-friendly. The parks are replacing their Halloween haunt and Valley Scare events with the new Tricks and Treats, a spooky fun celebration of the Halloween season. Stroll through the streets of the land of tricks to experience spooky, gross, and weird adventures, including the comic zombie cleanup crew show, ghost stories, skeletons, midway games, build a scare workshop, and more. Visit the three areas of the Land of Treats to experience a nostalgic fall festival with campfire stories, acoustic covers of seasonal songs, pumpkin decorating, Jolly Rancher's Market, and a fantasy area, equal parts, Renaissance Fair, Fairytale, and playful costume ball. All the offerings offer activities to delight every witch and warlock filled with (laughs) skilly, silly shenanigans, not scares and gore. So, I do want to just put a little disclaimer here where King's Island also offered Tricks and Treats event a few years back and apparently that was very successful so it isn't like this is an entirely new like this isn't a, a new concept from the ground up what this is is a strategic replacement uh, of of, of the scary offering at a few of their parks and I would say before I let Scott take a whack at it what I want to say is some of the trends here we've talked about this there was even an episode a few oh god I don't even know like in November question mark where we talked about the broadening of the Halloween market and how there's opportunity in the family friendly area, you know, for people to come in and do target family friendly stuff. Um, But I think, I think I'm not sure that's what this is. If we're being honest, while I do think there is opportunity in the family friendly area, I'm not sure really that's what this is. Uh, I think to echo the conversation we just had, I think part of this is that uh, there's more staffing that is required to do a scary Halloween event, and that could be a piece of this puzzle. Um, I also think it's all the things we talked about last year, there's all the fights that broke out because people couldn't control the shenanigans of the teenagers, which is a security issue, which is a staffing issue, which is a nighttime issue. So there's all these other things we've reported on on previous shows, which I think... plays into this. I don't think it's as simple as them thinking the family friendly market is the best market. And also the last thing I want to throw out there is unless you are really good at doing family friendly, um, it doesn't really make more money than scary. And the reason is because, um, kids do not drink, you know, right. They're children. They can't drink. So that's, that's a pretty big problem. Um, and I, I understand the overall point of trying to bring in a group of family and having, um, hopefully more spend per person because you know you're doing things for your kids Um, but ultimately it isn't as profitable really as as scary because uh, of if you can bring a group of four college friends and they all buy a bunch of alcohol that's more profitable than two parents and two kids
1: so i think this actually ties back to um the the floodgate story that we were talking about earlier because so many more people are coming back to the parks i think they're testing this, and it is a test. I don't. I don't believe that anything is permanent, um, but they are testing this. It appears, um, so that they can make up lost time for their their daytime family-friendly audience. They've decided to focus on uh, creating. Uh, it appears, and it's not just Cedar Fair because other other entities are doing similar things or are trending towards the the more family-friendly. Um, because again, I think they need to find additional ways to give people the experience in their parks, and uh, and not turn away, not turn them away, not turn away their their core demographic for a seasonal event. Um, I think all the things that Philip said are exactly right. I, it is family friendly events, unless they are done with the same amount of passion and fervor that um, the nighttime scary events are done. Um, are less profitable generally speaking or they, let me rephrase that they have been in the past yeah. we're in a whole new world I don't know we could discover that you know there's a bunch of there's a bunch of parents who are like oh gosh we haven't done anything for our kids over the last two years let's yeah. let's let's spend money on absolutely everything let's do the build a scare let's let's invest more money let's get them all sugared up and then um, you know make them make them feel like we really care about them because we really are out there doing wonderful things for them, which again, may turn it to be a, a very profitable yeah. event. I don't know. But to me, this is just a way to, um, to spread out their, their core day market. And, and I see that happening. You can either, you know, when you do a Halloween event or you do, uh, any sort of seasonal event, you can either target the market that you have to give them more or you can use it as a way to expand into a market that you don't normally target, and yeah. this seems to be embracing their family-friendly market during the yeah. day. And I don't think I need to see anything wrong with it. I wish them well. I hope uh, I hope it works out for them. I I'm, I think we all need to pay attention. I think we all need to be yeah. curious as to how this is going to pan out because again, this is a radical shift for these two parks, and uh, hopefully, they will uh, they will have luck with it and. Perhaps decide now we can add something scary again because the market is always going to be there for scary at Halloween. And um, so that's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. I, the last thing I want to throw in is I, I just think that we will have to watch it. I don't know their market you know, very well. So I, I want to preface that. But I do think that like overall the thing that we mentioned when we talked about the family friendly thing is that there is more competition in family friendly potentially coming from outside of our traditional spaces. Like here where I am, the malls are a huge competition now for family friendly because they have taken their parking lots and set up like literally everything that is in this list was set up by a mall and done really well by a mall in their parking lot. And and here's the thing is that I I just think there um you're going to get competition from a lot of other people if you are going to this family friendly space and you're not getting your extra gate which was a really big like piece of of the revenue model for scary is it's it's extra gate you can be open for twice as long you can get a second gate that's a big thing when you're trying to. Keep it just as one gate, and you're going to be facing competition from everybody that has space. You know, you're. I don't. I just feel like you're not really fully utilizing your assets in these types of things. But we'll see.
1: Well, and real Different quick, market, right? real quick, if you're in the market, if you are an independent haunt owner or an independent, um, or have ever thought about becoming an independent haunt owner, or have a facility that could go scary and dark, if you are in the the drive the drive radius of either of these parks get your scary stuff together because there's going to be a whole market of young people who are going to be going, well, I don't want to do that. That's lame. I want to do something that scares the crap out of me. Um, which is, which may be good for the industry as a whole may open it up to a bunch of new people anyway. Okay. So we've gone over once again, and we still haven't gotten through half of our list, but that's why we uh, we only ask for 30 minutes of your time um, each week. So on behalf of my co-host, Philip Hernandez, with Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network, and myself, Scott Swenson, with Scott Swenson Creative Development, thank you so much for listening to us. Please uh, keep keep those cards and letters coming. Keep those comments coming. Keep listening and share the show with anybody you think might be interested in us. Until next week, we'll see you. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. Oh!